Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 425 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I interview Matthew Hamilton of Labrador Studios and ask him about the design and development of their turn-based tactical RPG, Live by the Sword Tactics. We delve into great detail about the need for the player to know what is happening around the characters that they're controlling. That's really the core of this discussion, or what should I say, interview. So, without further ado, let's listen to me from the relatively recent past interview Matthew. Matt! Hello! Hello! Welcome, Matt, to the podcast. Hello! Thank you um, for having me. First question, Matt. Who are you? And what I do am... you do? Oh, I am Matthew Hamilton. I am the game director for Labrador Studios. And so I like to say I like to do, I do everything that doesn't involve any kind of technical expertise. I do all of the things that don't involve coding and math. So the next question then uh, is, uh, how did you make your start making video games? I started designing board games. Uh, I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons for about a decade now. And so I had always been into tabletop games and RPGs playing with my friends. And I was always the one who was like, oh, no, the source book is cool, but what about some homebrew? And my friends are always like, no, just stick to the book. But I didn't stick to the book. I kept wanting to make new stuff and new stuff. Um, eventually, I made a, a board game in 2018, which was the precursor to uh, Live by the Sword Tactics. Um, we played it uh, over the next year. We iterated on it. Uh, and eventually, we were able to uh, get it going to become a video game in uh, the summer of 2019. So this is your first title then, is that what you're saying? 
So before uh, before games, I was uh, an aircraft mechanic in the military. Um, and I know what you're thinking. I bet a lot of those skills transferred over. And surprisingly, no, they didn't. It was an entirely different set of skills. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So next question. What are your biggest influences as a creator? Um, I personally take a lot of uh, influence from um, people who have created their own their own worlds, um, their own environment from which from which their game uh, like takes place. Uh, I I'm a big fan of Tolkien. Uh, I I find what he did uh, just to be so inspiring. Um, the fact that he like started his work when he was much much older than 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 a lot of people realize uh, and it was so heavily influenced by his time in the war um and then coming home and creating this beautiful world which essentially spawned an entire genre which we all now enjoy uh, i think that that's absolutely incredible that uh you can make something so beautiful and throw yourself into it and and 100 years down the line well not 100 years yet but you know uh 70 80 years down the line it could still be influencing people uh so i would say he's probably my my biggest influence um and then my other biggest one would probably be uh sakaguchi san uh of final fantasy um i i grew up in the 90s and it blows my mind going back and looking at 90s games and it's just like what like how how the span of like six years did we get like final fantasy six seven eight nine ten and eleven in kingdom hearts and like how how did this how is this possible that we got so many killer rpgs not to mention just a few years before then uh you would get like chrono trigger uh secret of mana and it, so even not just sakaguchi san but like squaresoft squaresoft is my favorite all-time studio uh, for what they were able to do within the span of of like late 80s, early uh, all the 90s and early 2000s. So, next question. I think you may have answered this already. I don't know, though. Here we go. What video game developer do you admire most and why? Well, you know, it would have to be, it would have to be Squaresoft. Um, right, right. Yeah, it, it was just, it was incredible to me. Like, uh, the, those those years that they were putting out, like, you could look at a, a top a top 100 games of all time list, and you're going to get uh, a whole bunch of Nintendo games, uh, a whole bunch of Squaresoft games. Um, I think you'll probably get a bunch of Rockstar games, but, like, Squaresoft did all these like in the 90s, you know, like their most massive hits like Final Fantasy 7 can be argued as being the JRPG that like brought it to the forefront of the West. It like blew up everywhere. Everybody who doesn't even know video games can like see Final Fantasy 7 and be like, oh, I remember that in the store. Oh, I, I know the, the twist about this game. You know who Cloud is, you know who Sephiroth is like. And then the more you dive into it, it's just like. Final Fantasy VI, which was actually Final Fantasy III, or Final Fantasy III, which is actually Final Fantasy VI, with the whole naming and translation thing. Um, but yeah, yeah, Square, Squaresoft of the 90s is, is my favorite uh, developer, and I would say probably one of the best that there's ever been. I find myself, uh, I do a yearly playthrough of Final Fantasy IX, Final right. Fantasy X, and uh, Kingdom Hearts. Uh, and then every so often, I'll go back to Final Fantasy Tactics and Tactics Advance. But I try to, to split those playthroughs up 
a little bit longer just because you can play those games for hundreds and hundreds of hours, whereas the other ones you can generally get done a lot quicker. Okay. Um, that's a wonderful answer. And then we've got the final question of the first half. So here we go. What are you playing right now? What am I playing right now? Oh, Chris, I'm going to give you an answer you've probably never heard. Uh, I am currently playing a Final Fantasy XI private server because I, I love RPGs, I love MMOs, and uh, Final Fantasy XI, uh, along with World of Warcraft, are my two favorite. Uh, and so right now I am uh, currently on my Final Fantasy XI kick, and I'll probably be, be moving back to my World of Warcraft kick in a bit. Um, but as far as more modern stuff, uh, I went out today and I purchased uh, the new uh, Mario Rabbids uh, Sparks of Hope. Uh, and I will be playing that on the airplane tomorrow. And I can't wait. Let's move on to the second half of the show. Where we delve deep into Live by the Sword... questions yeah maybe first one's really tough here we go before we delve into live by the sword tactic can you tell us matt in your own words what is it it is a a tactical slash strategy rpg that is a lot more open and friendly to uh newcomers of the genre Uh, the reason being is that we have uh removed some genre standards that a lot of people uh, come to expect for these types of games. Whereas like uh, you might look at other, some and be like, oh, I have 20 gear slots. I have to deck out uh, 10 people on my team. Oh, I need to level up all these characters over here, but actually I don't like these characters. I want to play these characters, but now I have to use the characters that I didn't level. Um, We removed all that. We essentially said, uh, here are your classes, warrior, archer brawler stuff like that your classes all have abilities and traits you get to choose what they do in battle Uh, battles take between seven to to 12 minutes Uh, you can sit down have a nice fun battle and then move on you don't need to worry about sitting there and uh, oh i need to steal this weapon to learn this ability but the steal has a five percent chance of being effective that's that's not there uh, what that has also allowed us to do is implement multiplayer, uh, something that is uh, typically rarely seen. Uh, I, I like to think of it as if you're playing a board game with a friend, uh, that's the kind of the experience you get when you sit down and do local multiplayer with our game. First design question. Brace yourself. Here we go. Positioning and timing are very important when planning out moves in Live by the Sword Tactic. What do you you think what have you done a a tenet of this of the live by the sword this concept of positioning and timing what do you think if at all 
you've done to reward players who recognize this? Positioning and timing. Uh, I would say our greatest reward would be if you think about your moves uh, and you look at the the board you're currently playing on because all the boards are, are different, you know. Um, you can, for example, move uh, what are your more heavy uh, hitter uh, characters into a position to where they can knock back an enemy uh, to a more advantageous position for the, the character after them to, to take advantage of it. Like, uh, so the brawler uh, goes before warriors because he's faster and he also possesses a knockback. Uh, you can uh, haymaker uh, an enemy uh, to a, a location to where your warrior, who is, uh, say, standing above the enemy, taking advantage of the positional uh, advantage, can then do extra damage on the, the melee attack like that. So it is more of a, if you just are a little bit more methodical and you think about uh, what your characters can do, you can be greatly rewarded for it. We want people to to use charge shot which is the 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 archer attack that doesn't take place this turn but next turn and we want you to realize that hey the enemy can run away from that attack so why don't i use an ability that immobilizes them mm. uh to to not just rely on one character to do things but look at the battle as a, as a, a team experience because it's your team versus their team and so while your one character may be limited to their four moves you're not limited to just those four moves. You have 20 moves if you really think about the grand picture and how best to use those moves because you can use them in a set order, which provides you a big benefit. So next question. And we've already discussed a couple of them already. You said about charge shot and things like that. But um, special abilities, of which there are many. So there's like basic attacks, everyone, and you can also rest and, and move, of course. But every character has their own unique set of abilities but you're limited in their number you don't have a huge roster of them this is not dota where you just like oh choose that one and just off you go and the whole raft of of abilities and what have you or indeed many mmos where you have this vast you know as your character grows you have these little icons that mushroom into to number but somehow you know what they mean because you've you've evolved with the the character that you created, you know what each icon actually means. But in Lift by the Sword Tactics, that's not the case. You are granted a limited number of slots, to borrow a phrase from a certain ta tabletop RPG. Why? Uh, because it allows you to constraints can force you to be creative um whereas if we just said here are all your abilities all the time uh that instantly throws out the ability to well it, it doesn't throw it out but it lessens the ability to say be be sneaky for example like if you're playing your buddy uh maybe your buddy uh if he knew every ability your character had uh that would lessen the impact for Oh, I didn't realize your alchemist had this. Oh, I, I didn't think about it. I didn't take into account that if he had this ability, I shouldn't have moved here, which I am now stuck in place because he hit me with sticky mixture. Um, and I, I feel that the 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 limiting and the the restraints really allowed the the creativity to to flourish. Was that intentional? Yes, it, it was absolutely intentional. Um, I thought that that would be the, the best way to do it. Uh, I, I hadn't really seen 
uh, anyone else trying to do exactly what we were doing. Uh, and so I wanted to try it out, uh, take a risk. And I feel like it is a paid off because I think the system uh, is a very good base and it allows us to build off of it for the next few years. Um, yeah. My next question is a little bit maybe accusatory or just curious. Support characters, both basic and some of their their equipment or their abilities are offensive in nature, not in terms of insulting, but <laughs> they can cause damage and harm. Did you ever consider not having that? We definitely looked at having peer, peer supports. Um, one of the characters that'll be uh, coming in post-release is a peer support. Uh, I, I wanted more time to work with him to see how he would feel. So the, the peer support is a bard. Um, he has a basic attack, and that's it. His uh, his other eight abilities, um, just just so I, I could touch on that. Right now, there's six, but there will be eight. Uh, I could explain more about that. Uh, are all pure support, um, and I'm really looking forward to getting him out there. I I was was hesitant at first uh, to launch a pure support character because I wasn't sure if I could do it uh, correctly or design it right. Um, because it really could be uh, feast or famine, like with supports. It's either they're entirely useless, and why would I waste a, a character slot to bring them, or they're so strong that they overshadow a damage dealer, which the damage dealer is meant to be doing damage, you know? Um, but I feel like uh, the, the ones we have coming to the game uh, support in a way that... Uh, are are unique um it's how i would say it. they 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 don't offer themselves to be so one of his abilities uh he essentially plays a song for a character and that character can now use one of their abilities instantly um so he he plays a nice little song in his loot and your wizard can now throw another fireball or another flame lance. Uh, so the support really enhances the damage dealer to doing their own job. Um, and he's not like taking the spotlight for himself. He really is just a support. The use of isometric view in Live by the Sword Tactics. I'm assuming this was a deliberate thing that was always been something you wanted to make sure that there was no ambiguities yes sir uh yeah so i, I essentially wanted the player to be able to to take in 90 to 95 percent of all the information that they could see right then and there uh like you said sometimes you do need to rotate the board um but i like having the uh the the playing fields like right there it it gives you that that feel of when you're playing a, a board game or a tabletop game, everything is right there. I, I, I can't think of a board game or a tabletop game where you have part of the game outside of your view. Um, Maybe may a few that have like a billion pieces to them, you know, but generally speaking, I liked the presentation of this center area of your screen is reserved to, to your game. You can see the tiles clearly. You can see your characters. You can see your enemies. It's all very obvious who is who. And it, I almost, uh, I wish we had the capability and the technology to like reach down there in the world and grab your your warrior and move him. Like instead of having to use a controller, grab him and move him to the spot you want to put him, almost like a chessboard. Um, 
but yeah, it was a very deliberate choice to to essentially give all of the the battlefield information to the player and doing it through the isometric way like that uh, wasn't just a a good way to to give information. It was also uh, I I don't mean to toot my own horn. I think it looks very pretty. It's just a nice, pretty pretty way to to display a game board like that. Yeah. Live by the sword then. Live by the sword tactics. Think of its full title. Uh, it's developed by Labrador Studios. May I ask where the name comes from? From the the name of the company. Uh, a previous dog I owned. Ah, oh, uh, the best best dog I ever had. Oh yeah, it's so sad that we outlive our. Uh... Our furry friends, but uh, we give them the best life we can. And is published by uh, Gravity Game Arise Limited, I understand, yes? So actually, it is now published by uh, Labrador Studios. Oh, okay. uh, Gravity, yeah, Gravity was helping us uh, with our launch over the summer. Right. Uh, and now our, our uh, partnership has ended. Uh, very, thank you very much to Gravity if you guys hear this. Uh, but yeah, so now it's uh, published by us for handling it. And what ava- what platforms is uh, available on? Is is Live by the Sword Tactics? What's what's it available on to play? We are available on uh, PC, Mac, Linux, as well as Steam Deck. Uh, as we are on Switch and Xbox Series X and Xbox. Uh, what's the other one? Xbox One X. I always forget that one. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and then early next year, we'll be launching on PS4 and PS5. Matt, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Thank you. Do you mind if I do a quick little plug? Please. The floor is yours. So October 6th is our winter update. Uh, I am very, very pumped up about this, Chris. Uh, I mentioned earlier, uh, like the Bard would have uh, eight abilities and traits to choose from. Uh, this update coming out is adding new abilities and new traits, which are uh, constant passive effects to every single class in the game. Uh, we have over 20 of them being introduced. So now you no longer uh, have just six to choose from, but you have eight. Uh, so I hope that that's all right. When you go back and you look at the game post uh, post update, Chris, you can get some new options. Oh, will, yeah. Uh, it, Adventure mode, we are introducing six new items. We are introducing a stat point system. This is just for adventure mode, uh, but you'll be able to level up a character's accuracy, uh, movement, their speed, their HP. And after you put in a certain number of these stat points, you'll be able to unlock a grand effect. Uh, Some of these grand effects are general grand effects. Some are class specific. Uh, One of my favorite ones is it turns the wizard's fire attacks, all of his flames, no longer deal uh, friendly fire damage. So you can run in there and fireball and blow up to your heart's delight, and you don't need to worry about damaging your own teammates. Selective fire. Mm. I like it. (laughs) Yes. Uh, We have also taken the time to go through story mode. Uh, So we went through, we listened to the good and the bad feedback. Uh, We have expanded further on the good, and we have gotten rid of more of the bad. So... Every single fight within story mode has had a pass over it to where uh, in the later stages of the game, you'd be fighting uh, four thieves or like five pirates. Uh, Somehow the enemies uh, of the world have recruited different types of enemies onto their team. And you should definitely go and recheck out story mode because it's not what it was. It is a lot more challenging and the team compositions have changed. That is all coming out December 6th. Right. And it will be launching as it deals with gold on Xbox. Matt, as I said, it's been great having you on the show. And more than welcome 
to come back to chat about what next is brewing in your head um, because we will be here <laughs> to talk about it. And uh, but in the meantime, thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me, Chris. It's been a blast. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, caneandrinse.com. <laughs>